0: Hey there, and welcome to another episode of The Bible. Wait, what? Yes, this is the podcast that unravels the mysteries of the Bible's most perplexing, puzzling, and thought-provoking passages. My name is Rowan, and each session I'm joined by a member of our team at C3 Church, Camden, Picton, and Thoreau, as they quiz me on top of the more complicated, confusing, challenging, and even confronting passages that we read in our weekly Bible reading plan. understand that reading the Bible can be a challenging and perplexing experience many people just don't know where to start they get confused and so they give up well that's why this podcast exists to equip you with the tools and the knowledge to explore the richness and depth of the Bible for yourself so grab your Bible take a deep breath and join us as we explore this week's passages To learn more about us or to get in touch with us at C3Church Camden, Picton and Thoreal, visit any of our three locations websites. That's c3camden.church, c3picton.church and c3thoreal.church. Or you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube just by searching for any of our locations names. So without any further delay, let's dive into today's conversation.
1: To the podcast,
0: The Bible, what?
2: Wait, <laughs> what? Wait, what?
0: <laughs> that's it. That's the n- Kenny's just discovered the name of our podcast. There's a story behind it, Kenny. We yes. uh, we were using GPT to give up some Bible names. Of course you were. Yes, we were. And uh, and we found that one, and Jeannie liked that one. She thought, I, I said, that's a challenging name, but it's growing on me. Because let's face it, when we read the Bible, sometimes we go, wait, what? <laughs> and so we want to... We want to help you friends out there who think, what on earth are we talking about? When you read that, you go, that makes no sense whatsoever.
1: I know. And for some people like me at some stage of my walk with Jesus, that would cause me just to close the Bible and say, Exactly. Wait, what? I'm not reading that. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. Well, <laughs>
0: that's confronting. I, I say there's four things, challenging, confusing, complicated, and confronting. Wow. Four Cs. And those things often put people off. Whereas I would like to invite people into the the to embrace the challenge the confrontation the confusion and the complication and actually use those things and go that's an invitation for me to dig in and learn more and when you do when you come at the bible that way and you're not threatened by the confronting the challenging the complicated and the confusing it actually in, it, it invites you into greater knowledge and greater understanding and greater depth of god's love and the personality of god and our relationship with him not not scares us off there you are, dear podcasters, straight from Pastor
1: Rowan's mouth. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. Not to be scared off, not to close our Bibles, but Come to open them and get excited. Amen. Let's do it. Right, we are in uh, the month of May. The month of May, can you <laughs> the believe beautiful it? Beautiful month of May, um, and this podcast is going from May first to Sunday, May seventh, and the title is "The Holy Spirit Empowerer." You got it, Empowerer. Wow, this is a yep. big one. That's a big word. I was going to look up the definition of that, but um, what I do you think it means? Mean?
0: One who empowers, <coughs> that's what it means, one who empowers.
1: What is the difference between power and empower?
0: I think empower, you've been given the power. You've been given power. Yeah. So empower is to, to transfer power onto another.
1: Nice.
0: Yeah, or to be the recipient of power. Whereas power is the, the, the thing itself, the empower is the transfer of that thing. Yeah, oh, I like it. I think that's what it's talking about. Possibly could be complicated, but I do like it. So God is giving us his power through the Spirit. Yeah. Wow. I think that's the way to view the concept. It's
1: just up to us to use it for...
0: For good. For good. (laughs) Which is, isn't that Genesis 1? God gave him incredible authority to rule and subdue the earth and reign. But they chose, Genesis 3, they chose to use it for bad, not for good. They chose to eat from the wrong tree, to define right and wrong for themselves and... You're right, we have a choice, friends. How are we gonna use the power that has been given to us? Mm. Yeah. Awesome,
1: right. Monday the 1st of May, um, our two chapters are Isaiah 41, back to the good old book of Isaiah. Back in Isaiah. (laughs) We don't have to spend a
0: lot of time talking about who Isaiah was, we covered that last week.
1: (laughs) We sure did, and it was amazing. Let me check my questions. Oh yes, my first question on Isaiah 41, in verse 10, it was, uh, what is the right hand? Because I think it uh, mentions the right hand of the Lord, the strong right hand, the righteous right hand, why right? What do you think? Well, I guess on face value, the right hand for a lot of people is more dominant than the left. So there's also sitting on the right hand of the father yep, yep.
0: so right hand becomes synonymous yep. with um, power and authority uh, righteous right hand r- the righteous one. victorious right hand yes yeah, so yeah. all those terminologies so yes the right hand is a is a, a metaphor for power and authority okay. but it's a logical metaphor like for all the reasons you just said right hand is dominant Um even the way they would fight, they would fight with their swords with their right hand.
1: What about the poor left hand? Well, there
0: people? was a few left-handers, and there was a few outliers. There was a, gr- a group of them that were left-handed men from the tribe of. I
1: was going to say, did they start right right-handed and they changed? Well, on I know
0: there was a there was a <laughs> group of left-handed men who fought for one of the Jewish tribes. I can't remember which tribe it was now. Oh,
1: I think I remember. Yeah, that.
0: and they were they were renowned for being left-handed fighters, but most people were right-handed. And uh, when there was a a treaty, I think we might have spoken about this with Jeannie in a previous episode uh, in the book of uh, Joshua, where they said, uh, we're going to surrender to you. We'll let you surrender to us as long as you gouge out the right eye of everyone. Uh, And because with the right eye missing, you weren't able to fight. You couldn't couldn't use your sword because you needed your right eye for depth and you needed your right eye to symbolize the use of the right hand. If you take your right eye away, yeah. you haven't got a lot of use out <laughs> I'm here. I'm just, we're just, for those that aren't watching the video, we're covering over yeah. our right eye and we're waving our right arm around with a sword and I can't even see. <laughs> I can't, I can't, I've got to bring it right over the left. So I'm not going to be able to fight too many fights with my right army. eye missing. Yeah. <laughs> so it became synonymous with authority, power, that kind of thing. So God will uphold you by my victorious right hand. It's a metaphor for his authority and his power.
1: Wow. Because he talks about that a, a fair bit in Isaiah 41. I didn't get much questions from this. Sure. It's a lot about going into battle and having victories with nations and trampling kings underfoot and reducing armies to dust and. Scattering people like chaff to the wind, and sure, is that like uh, speaking victory over?
0: Yeah, I think it's using metaphorical language to speak about victory. So we didn't touch on this, but chapter forty started last. We talked about last week. started Started with comfort, comfort, my yeah, yeah. people. Chapter forty is the beginning of what some. We talked a little bit about the different Isaiah's, and one of the schools is that there's a Deutero Isaiah theory which is that there are two isaiahs yeah you and mentioned four or something i mentioned that some scholars four. think there could be four yeah. but uh, scholars at face value look at the t- look at two isaiahs and they happen to see that isaiah 40 to 66 seems very different in its style of writing to isaiah 1 to 39 it, it's purely coincidental i think but it just so happens that 31 to 39 happens to be the same number of chapters as the same number of books in the Old Testament, 39. Whoa. And Isaiah 40 to 66 happens to be 27 chapters, which is exactly the same as the books in the New Testament. Now, I think that's coincidence, but it's fascinating little tidbit because they do see that Isaiah 40 onwards starts to talk about future redemption a lot more than the first 39 chapters. There's definitely a change, whether it's a different person writing it I'll we'll leave that up to the scholars to argue about. But there is definitely a, a shift in the message from chapter 40 onwards. It starts to talk about redemption. It starts to talk about the suffering servant, the, su- the servant psalm, the servant uh, poems that take place um, from uh, early chapters 40 through to 50, 41 through to 53. That talks about the servant, which is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, but also could be fulfilled to an extent in the nation of Israel. So I think if you know that overarching story as you're reading the latter part of Isaiah, it's helpful. So it's written to a people who need to be reminded of the future hope. Yeah. The future how many, over?
1: How many years are we talking? Do um, you think Isaiah might have been written?
0: Well, Is that's right. That, his
1: whole life? I'm just thinking, yes. did he become wiser? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. He,
0: he became right. And the, the argument that says it's the same dude they go well there's no problems with it being a different style of writing maybe he grew and matured and changed yeah. his ways and and we have a problem with that because we go oh, you know yeah i must have been the same guy but it has it couldn't be the same guy but i'm not the same person i was last year i'm not the same person mm-hmm. i was 10 years ago i told you in the last podcast i've changed my view about end time theology yeah. i used to hold staunchly to one view and if I wonder if 200 years down the track, people saw my teaching on YouTube from what I used to say <laughs> say about that to what I'm saying in this podcast, whether they'd think, this is a different Rowan. This isn't the same dude because he's saying something totally different. Well, I've just grown and changed my thinking and developed. I wonder if Isaiah could have done the same. Maybe he changed over time. He grew as he became a, a wise old man.
1: That. You could say I was right then
0: and I'm right now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate, there's a lot of things I wasn't it's right about. V- views, really, and... Well, you've learnt more since then, haven't you? Yeah, and, yeah. and
0: hopefully we'll c- we all we'll all continue to learn. Uh, I think that's an important point, is let's avoid being threatened by our having our views and perspectives challenged. Mm. Uh, many Christians are afraid to have their perspectives challenged. And I think the reason is because of the whole house of cards theory. What if I'm wrong about that? If I'm wrong about the rapture, yeah, maybe I was wrong about everything. So they won't go there. They'll bury their head in the sand. I I, I might be wrong about a certain thing. But if you take a step up from that, if you're wrong about something, wouldn't you like to know? Yeah. So why continue to believe something you're not right about just because you're afraid that you might be wrong, wrong about everything? And friends, more often than not, most of us are not wrong about everything. Most of us have had good Bible teaching. Most of the things we've learned are solid and true. There might be some things that have changed our thinking, change our ways, but that's okay. Don't be threatened by that. Allow yourself to be confronted by different perspectives, whether that's theological perspectives, sociological perspectives, political perspectives, uh, relational things. Allow yourself to be confronted. Great points. Mm. uh, A lot of non-Christians love to
1: see a flicker of doubt in a Christian's eyes when they ask them a question. I've learned to you've say. You've experienced that? Oh, definitely. Gosh. What have you learned to say? I've learned to say, that's a great question. Um, I'd like to go and talk to my pastor about <laughs> that and get back to you.
0: <laughs> well, that's a really good answer. And often I'll say, that's a really good question, Kenny. Because
1: sometimes I say, well, yeah, that's a really hard for me to answer. And I'm, I just don't, I can't really give you the answer for that. Well, I can I give you a view on that.
0: Well done that you've got the humility and the courage to do that because that's what I'm talking about. I actually think a lot of us struggle to even do that because this innate fear that, oh, if I'm wrong, I might be wrong about everything, so I'd rather bury my head in the sand and stick my fingers in my ears and ignore it. I don't want us to be those kind of people. I want to encourage people to be willing to be challenged, think critically, because in the end, if you're wrong, you'd rather know, and maybe you're right, and having it challenged will actually strengthen your resolve and your understanding, and you'll come out not just knowing what you believe, but now knowing why you believe mm. what you believe. yeah, and that's, more about. More, and that's better. Always better to know why you believe what you believe than just to know what you believe. Oh, love it. We got way off track there. I Isaiah <laughs> 41 we were talking about. Let's just read a few verses and, and pull a point out. Let's just see. Um, it's entitled, God's Help for Israel. Listen in silence before me, you lands beyond the seas. We're talking about the foreign lands here. Bring your strongest arguments. Come now and speak. The court is ready for your case. So we get a picture here of a courtroom. The the nations coming to come against God. Who has stirred up this king from the east, rightly calling him rightly calling him to God's service? Who gives this man victory over many nations, and permits him to trample their kings underfoot? With his sword he reduces armies to dust. With his bow he scatters them like chaff before the wind he chases them away and goes safely though he is walking over unfamiliar ground who does such mighty deeds summoning each generation from the beginning of time it It is is I the Lord the (laughs) first and the last I alone am he so there's a picture here and it's probably talking about someone depending on the timing of when it was written might be talking about Sennacherib the the Assyrian king but it's it's this picture of a foreign king who is laying waste to the nations basically and he's saying, "Who does this?" Who? And God's saying, Oh the king, the, the, foreign, the, the foreign king, is, king saying, is doing." Asking the questions in the courtroom. Uh, no, uh, well, it, it's a metaphorical courtroom. It's a metaphorical courtroom. I think, I think the question is, the people are asking, "Who has stirred up this king against the nations?" And God's saying, "I have done this." It's, it's, yeah. it's God's picture of saying, "It might look bad right now. The Assyrians might be raiding through the land, but I am the one who is doing this. I am the Lord. I am the first. And I am the last. And those lands beyond the sea, they should watch in fear. Remote lands will tremble and mobilize for war. So this is a judgment against the nations. And God is saying, I am using a foreign king to bring judgment against the nations because of their wayward ways, their ways. And they're creating idols, it talks about. Verse 8. But as for you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, my chosen one, descended from Abraham, my friend, I'm calling you back from the ends of the earth. So the nations have gone their own way. The peoples of the earth have done their own thing. They've brought judgment upon themselves. But God is saying, but have no fear, Israel. You are my servant. I'm going to call you back to me. You're my servant. I've chosen you. I won't throw you away. Don't be afraid for I'm with you. Don't be discouraged for I'm your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you by my victorious right hand. So there we go. That's that victorious right hand. God's going to protect you, God's people. You can take this and personalize this. It was written not for you, not to you, but for you. You can read this and go, God's going to uphold me against the enemy. It It is. It's a promise. Yep. So if you continue to read through slowly, uh, pick up a commentary, read what the context of this is. This is the thing with Isaiah. Uh, and a lot of the old testament prophecies you need a bit of historical context but once you know that context it helps the scriptures to come to life you just got to be slow this isn't you're not going to get that out of your 90 day bible reading plan
1: you're not going to get that at 1.75 speed either no are you? no you're not
0: so i'm all for the 90 day bible reading plan i've been doing it for the last 5 years i think i'm on 26 or 27th time through now but that's different to sitting down with Isaiah 41 and spending a few hours studying it. Mm. So do that, if that's not today, but we're not going to do that now, but that's how you study it. Research it, write down your questions, Google them, study, read some commentaries and see what it tells you.
1: Man, Isaiah, he was on fire. Isaiah was on fire. (laughs) (laughs) Should write a song, can he? I could write a rap. You could write a rap to that. Our other chapter on Monday the 1st is uh, Luke 9. Luke is a, a, has got some long, chapters very long <laughs> chapters. Luke
0: is a very long chaptered book. What's the story <laughs> that you'd like chapters? to talk about? So Luke nine.
1: Luke nine has sixty two chapters.
0: Sixty two verses. Yes, it does. It's a long 62 one. Sixty two verses. Sorry. Jesus sends out the twelve disciples. Herod's confusion. Jesus feeds the five thousand. Peter's declaration about Jesus. Jesus predicts his death. The transfiguration. Jesus heals a demon-possessed boy, <laughs> the greatest in the kingdom, <laughs> using the name of Jesus. Opposition from the Samaritans. The costs of following Jesus. Wow, there's a lot in that oh, chapter. My <laughs> we are not going to cover every one of those today. I
1: did want to ask. I think this has been explained to me, but um, uh, verse three: take nothing, and sh- uh, and about shaking the dust off your shoes. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's what? pretty. Like, Have you had it
0: explained to you? What?
1: no not about the shape of the dust but why would jesus say take nothing how could you survive like if you were to say oh you know just walk to aladala yeah take nothing yeah you know it's yeah. pretty full on statement. well
0: i think it's it's worth knowing a little culture yeah in the ancient near east culture and in, in this season that is hospitality and even today in the middle east if you go to bedouin cultures and bedouin tribes and They are renowned for hospitality. Like taking in. in Because there's not a lot of water around, in this especially. Um, People would travel on foot. So you've got to, the closest thing we would have is living in a small country town where, you know, you knock on someone's door and, you know, they'd take you in. But that was renowned. In fact, it was seen as the highest level of um, selfishness not to take people in. Wow. So, so they would be always so just worth knowing that when you're reading ancient ancient documents and ancient history is that the whole hospitality and bringing people into your home we very much see that as an inconvenience it was the thing today to do. but it was the thing to do in fact yeah. it was shameful not to do it Wow. so that would meant that they would they wouldn't have as much trouble like you say if we headed off to Ulladulla we'd have trouble trying to hitchhike a lift there driving past us Yeah. in that culture You'd be driving along in your horse and back carriage and it wouldn't take you very long on the side of the road to have f- someone stop and say, hey, friend, do you need a lift?
1: We have a corner. Our house is on a corner where everybody that breaks down or has an accident pulls up right to our house. And I'm always saying, hey, do you need a drink of water? Hey, there was So hospitable, guy, Kenny. I uh, ran out an uh, extension cord so he could charge his phone. Oh, He's that's young kid awesome. And brought him a beer out. Oh that's you know, so that's possible. People sort of look out and say, Why are you going to talk yeah. to those broken down? I people? love
0: it. You know? Well that is that's Christianity. That's yeah. it's that's even just ancient culture. It's a it's a principle that read that through. That and when she, Jesus a is setting was out a,
1: there like counselling a lady once who'd had a fight with her mum. Oh, I remember hearing she told there. me about straight that story. Yeah. In the middle of the, the violence. Like there was in the middle of, yes, there was a lot a of domestic violence happening, wasn't okay, there? Okay, you sit down and that's
0: Yeah. Amazing. What's yeah. happened
1: out the front of that? <laughs> anyway, off track. No, but that's, that's the answer,
0: yeah. I think, there is that. And the dust? Put it in its. I think that's probably. Is that a s- custom? I'd say it's a custom. Let's find out.
1: If someone really ticks you off.
0: What does shaking the dust off your feet mean? Because he
1: says it a couple of times. He
0: does. I'd say it's a, it's a figurative thing. Let's see what it says is a metaphorical expression that means to leave a place or situation behind and move on because it has become unproductive or unpleasant. The origin of the expression comes from the cultural and religious practice in the Middle East where shaking the dust off one's feet was a symbolic gesture of rejection and dissociation. In the Bible, in Matthew 10, 14, and where we are now in Luke, Jesus instructs his disciples, And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, Depart from their houses and city and shake off the dust of your feet. The passage refers to the disciples going to preach the gospel, and if they're not welcomed, they'd leave and move on to the next town, shaking the dust off their feet as a sign of the rejection of that place. Today, the phrase shaking of dust of the feet is often used in a broader sense to refer to leaving a place behind of negative experience and relationship, moving on with a fresh start. It does beg a question, is it seems almost anti-gospel, doesn't it that Jesus is telling them, Ah, oh, you know, if they're going to have you, just stuff them, move on.
1: Just trying to think when I could uh, use it in this day and age.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. You I mean, know, it'd it's be easier than it,
1: abusing somebody.
0: Well, yeah, maybe <laughs> it'd be easier for a Christian to go. Well, you know, I preach the gospel to them. They, it's their problem. I'm out of here. Yeah, <laughs> they've had their dash. They've done their dash. I'm moving on to the next Instead person. of
1: flipping somebody the bird. You just take your shoe <laughs> off and throw <laughs> the dust
0: on the, <laughs> the ground. <laughs> Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe one of our listeners can do a bit of research Mm. into that because this is a good example of, I don't think I've thought that through, but it seems to be a little bit contrary to what I know of Jesus, who's always reaching out to people, always reaching people where they're at. There's clearly a rejection there. There's clearly a sense in the yeah. king; They haven't ex- acknowledged the kingdom has come Maybe to them. he's
1: saying don't waste your well, You know, if they're not going uh, to waste yes. your time. Yes. Shake the dust off of yes.
0: the, the next place. Good point. Okay, so another scripture that comes to mind is where Jesus says, don't cast your pearls before swine, um, <laughs> which, you know, it pr- seems pretty cruel to call someone a pig. Yeah. But the message is don't, don't waste your riches on those that are just going to ignore it. If you've got pearls to give to people and all you're going to do is trample it in the mud, save those pearls and give them to someone else. Mm, so that's maybe good. that's what it's talking about. So yeah. it's not so much an anger and a defiance as a calm resoluteness that says, well, I'll go and find someone else. Yeah. You didn't have to receive what I wanted. That's okay. Maybe one day you will, but I'm going to move on to find those who have to receive what I have to give. Mm. I had a, a 30 second conversation with uh, Pastor John Scott, who was a pastor at C3 Mount Annan when I first came on staff there back in the, early, in the year 2000. And he called me across the corridor. It's funny, this conversation, I've used this dozens, if not hundreds of times. This is a 30-second 30 30 second conversation. conversation. He calls me across the corridor He says, Ron, come over here. Literally, I reckon I'd been on staff in pastoral care, I don't know, a matter of days, I don't remember, pretty early on. And he sits me down, sit down, sit down. He says, I just want you to remember this. When it comes to pastoring people, you've got all the time in the world to invest and no time to waste. And then he goes, okay, off you go, back to your office. (laughs) And that conversation has... thats not even 30 seconds. That's not even 30 (laughs) seconds. The depth of wisdom in that conversation, in that that statement, has stuck with me for Mm. 23 odd years now. All the time to invest and no time to waste. I wonder if that's what Jesus is referring to here. Mm. Find those... That are ready. Wow! Don't waste and get frustrated and upset about those who aren't ready. Because you never win that battle. You'll never win that battle. No, you've seen that in your workplace. You Mm. know, if you try and argue with them, we get you know we get this Christian keyboard warriors that want to get online and argue with people, atheists online, and all that sort of stuff. Maybe some of them you'll win, but it's (laughs) so easy to get. It's so easy to get into. into keyboard warrior fights. Mm. And maybe we need to shake the dust off our feet and go like find it. the seekers.
1: Blow the dust out of our keyboard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's. Um, Blow the
0: dust off your keyboard, Jesus would say. <laughs>
1: Let's move on to the feeding of the 5,000. Yeah, great. Um, see
0: we ha- see how good it is to actually wrestle with the script. Oh, yeah, I love it. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not this. saying I'm right, but it's. No, no. It's good to wrestle with it and talk it through. It's definitely sort of
1: waking me up a little bit inside. Yeah, good. Um, the 5,000, did they only have to feed the men? Because it talks about 5,000 men. Yeah. What about the wives and the yeah. children? Are they in a separate camp? Uh,
0: no, they're all there. Um, so it's probably, I don't know, five, it's, a l- probably it double, it? it's probably at least double with kids. probably yeah. 15,000 or something, you know, whatever it might be. Um, I think it's just a, an ancient way of numbering. You've got to remember we're talking to an ancient patriarchal society. I don't think it's necessarily a good all thing. Were
1: all allowed in the same spot to listen to the teaching? Um, on the
0: hillside, I think, yes, but not in the temple and in the, in the synagogue, no. They were, had to be separated in the synagogue. The women were in one section and the men were in another. Um, I'd say on the side of the hill, yes, but there would have been all co- kinds of co- cultural appropriate behaviours, as in, and you still see this in a lot in Muslim cultures today, that um, men won't talk to women without their husband present and that sort of thing. So I think there's probably a, a lot of that. Um, we're dealing with a culture that's still very patriarchal, still very male-focused. And we can look at Jesus' interaction um, and we can think, oh, that's very male-focused too. He's only got male disciples or, you know, whatever. But if you compare it with the other, ty- the other people of the time, he's incredibly progressive in terms of his embracing of women. He has women traveling with him. He has women providing for him. Um, he has women, even he lets Mary sit at his feet when Martha's off cooking, well, only disciples sat at the feet of the teacher. So he's basically allowing Mary to be a disciple. So in, in, in our culture, it seems radically conservative and very masculine and very patriarchal. But in this culture, Jesus is very radically progressive and embracing of men and women in, in an equality perspective. And so it's still saying uh, 5,000. And I hate the fact that the Bible, you say, Jesus fed the 5,000 because it clearly was more than that. Mm. And it even says, uh, for there are about 5,000 men there, it says in this version. I think in one of the other Gospels, this is, this is interestingly the only miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels. Really? Yeah, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John all refer to the feeding of the 5,000. Um, and in at least some of the other versions, it says there were about 5,000 men there beside women and children so more than that
1: yeah and the poor old feeding in the four thousand just feeding four thousand just pales just in. gets a, oh just a, that's right
0: and that's just a whole <coughs> jesus was doing a whole different story with the feeding of the four thousand he was yeah. five thousand was a number that was you talk about numerology and num num not that's not the word uh, numerics, Bible numerics. numerics. That's I will talk about yeah. that later so on. So the 5,000 is indicative of a very Jewish term. The 4,000 is a very much a Gentile ter- term. And Jesus is, feeding, oh, really? Jesus is feeding the Jews in this story. And even the, how many basketfuls are picked up at the end? 12? 12. Remember we said about the yeah. last episode about 12 being governance. a number of governance. Hmm. So there's a Jewish story. Dig into that, friends. There's There's Jewishness in this story and the 4000 story there is actually seven baskets left picked up Ooh. and the significance of the 4000 and the seven is a very gentile focused story so the writer is wanting, wanting you to go mining for riches there's we'll more come back to, the numbers, to be said but
1: once I was in a pub playing a gig and a lady came up to me and uh, she was very excited and she said it's all about numbers and I'm like what she goes the bible it's all re- it's all numbers did <laughs> she, can't, she, she explain anything <laughs> no, she about just it drifted off into the crowd how many numbers of she alcohol that, had she, she drank like there was a book about the bible and all the relation to the numbers
0: yeah there's been, the been a bible. few of there was a man by the name of ivan Panin, a russian who moved to america i think and he wrote a famous book about the exa- the, the the depth of numbers that um even written behind the scenes that in, the, in the references, in the genealogies, and all that stuff. So there's one level of numerics. There's another whole level underneath as well, which is fascinating. It's worth looking at. I, it's not. Do it you
1: really think it's a coincidence? Those verses in Isaiah that you said was the half.
0: Um, I think that might it's be a coincidence because we didn't. P- the chapters and verses came in much later. Ah, yeah, okay. So we don't, the the original writers didn't have 40, 39 chapters. (laughs) It's still pretty cool. But yeah, (laughs) I I think they came later. They weren't there originally.
1: The other thing I was wondering about was a bit further on in um, around verse 38. Oh, the demon-possessed boy, Jesus Hills. The next day when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions. That he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him, and is destroying him. I begged your disciples, disciples, to drive it out, but they could not. And I wanted to know why Jesus gets so mad, because I- he says, "You unbelieving and perverse generation." Jesus replied, "How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here." Yeah. So did what? You know, sometimes people don't get
0: healed. Yeah, yeah, that's you a good got question. Got an explanation for that one? Um, not one off the top of my head that I'm Jesus totally satisfied is really,
1: with. really—he's going off at
0: them. Yeah. You know? Well, who, who? Yeah, is he I, going I, okay. off
1: at the disciples?
0: Or it, it reads like he is, seems to be going off at the at the disciples, doesn't it? Um, I I don't know that he definitely is. I'd want to read some more context there. Um, I have done some research in the whole this kind can come only out by prayer and fasting and the perverse. He was talking about a perverse generation there and how prayer and fasting contradict the two things that he talks about here. Um, on one hand, he's saying they're faithless and they're corrupt. Wow. And he says, and later, I don't think it's this version.
1: Usually he's talking to the Pharisees. Yes. Like that. <laughs> yes.
0: And I think he probably still is. I think, I, I think at face value, he's just um, exasperated it's but in front
1: of a lot of people too. It is, yeah.
0: I, I warrant some more work because it does seem out of character mm. with with the way Jesus.
1: W- and it looks like the disciples aren't even there. Like this guy's come away from yeah the people that were trying it, saying, "Hey, they couldn't do yeah. it. What do you got, mate?" This is
0: a really good example of a confronting passage. Mm. Um, I I would need to do more research. I can speculate, but this is a good example of one where I would want to be burying myself in the commentaries and yep. and googling it and going and looking for different perspectives and once again you know broken record here tell GPT to give you five different perspectives on this so you get to see all the different perspectives that's something you could never do before you had to go and read them yourself but just to get different what are some common views about this passage and then s- and wrestle with each of them and see what they say because it almost sounds like one Jesus is frustrated with the disciples Two, he's frustrated with the population and then he's letting his guard down. He's going, like, bring your son here. Yeah. You know? It doesn't seem like a lot of compassion. No. Now, that is an invitation into deeper knowledge because rather than going, Oh, that sounds like a cruel Jesus, that's an invitation because if something you read something and it doesn't fit with what you know of Jesus, there's a good chance that we're missing a cultural understanding or nuance or that there's something that Luke is wanting to tell us that we're missing. So rather than being, oh, that's all too hard, this is an invitation into research. And I suspect, and we we haven't got time to do it in this podcast, but I suspect if you do that, you will actually find a a depth of nugget, a nugget of gold that you would have missed if you just skipped on.
1: It was the day after... They came down from the mountain where Jesus was glowing. was glowing, the was transfiguration.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you, see, I would think if he's just come off the mountain and had that amazing experience, <laughs> he went, oh, he, he's it was like, oh, no, back in, I'm still here. Yeah, <laughs> so, and it was definitely a sense in which he did struggle with that at times. So, yeah, all of those things are, are definitely things that we should be thinking through as we study this stuff. But mm. it's an invitation into deeper knowledge, deeper understanding. Do it that way, I'd say. Yeah. And if you're, you're listening to this um, or you're watching it, uh, let us know, you mm. know, let us know what you discovered as you studied that. Very scripture. interesting.
1: That one jumped out to me. And usually I might just read through and because Luke nine, I've, I've just got at the end of my notes for this. It's a huge chapter. Oh, it's a massive a chapter. In it, yeah, know, it's a it, massive chapter. Jesus goes on to predict his death a couple of times, yep. two or three in, yep. in, in Luke nine. Yep.
0: And and it's a huge chapter. It's a pivotal chapter. There's a lot taking place in this one story, in this one mm. chapter. So, yeah, I'm not going to try to answer every question. No. There's no way I can. But if I can put tools in your hands so that you can actually do some of your own research, then um, I like that one. I've done my job.
1: You certainly have. I think we should move on to Tuesday the second of May. Sure. And we're into uh, Micah three and Luke ten. You for a, a brief, who Micah was? Is that the right way to say it? Micah
0: from Micah. Or Micah, I think it is. Yep. Yep. Micah. I mean, it's
1: only a small. It's only a small Birelli book. And yep. Bashed in a few small
0: books.
1: <laughs> yep. In between
0: there. I think Micah is the is the shepherd. I think he's the one. This uh, verse one, the Lord gave this message to Micah of Moresheth during the years of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. That should tell us something. Where Almost did we hear those before? Isaiah. Almost the same. <laughs> Isaiah was um, was um, these were the last oh, three, and it
1: mentions Zion as well in yeah. Micah. So it yeah, was Isaiah talking about Jerusalem. Yeah. So maybe he was around Jerusalem as well.
0: So it says the visions he saw concerning both the Samaria and Jerusalem. So Micah is a contemporary of Isaiah. Um, comes a little bit younger than Isaiah because Isaiah also prophesies over. Uh, the first king, which was Isaiah on, 1, because it mentions there Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Isaiah mentions uh, it mentions, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Ahaz and Hezekiah. So he comes along a uh, <laughs> <the> third <laughs> no, of the way through, yeah, a few that years that later. Okay, So that's who he is. I think the difference is Micah... Um, doesn't come from royalty like Isaiah. He's a bit of a he's a bit of a nobody. He comes out of he, he's, he comes out of obscurity a little bit more. Uh, and I don't even know why I know that. It'll be in the text somewhere. So he's writing. He's speaking to Jerusalem, and he's also speaking to the Northern Kingdom. And as you remember from my last episode, this is a time when the Northern Kingdom is being attacked by the Assyrians and about to get banished into exile. So it's a turbulent time for both kingdoms, and it looks like. The southern kingdom of Judah could just about be obliterated too, other than a supernatural deliverance from God. They would have been. Jerusalem was saved by a supernatural deliverance. But beyond that, this is a time of great upheaval when foreign kings are attacking the people. So that's who he is. Uh, what was your question specifically? Who? Well,
1: at the, I just put the start is weird. Are they cannibals? <laughs> are they I what? Talk, are they cannibals? Because it's... You who hate good and lo- this is in the NIV version of uh, Micah three was it? We were at? Yeah, Micah three. Good and love evil. Who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones? Who eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin and break their bones in pieces? Who sure. chop them up like meat for the pan, like flesh for the pot?
0: Okay, so I don't think they're cannibal I don't think they're cannibals. But wha- they weren't. Yeah. Like well, it's a it's deep, rich metaphor, isn't it? Yeah. Um, who's he talking to? The dr- To the leaders. Yeah, yeah, the
1: leaders of Jerusalem. Yeah, so he is
0: rebuking those in power and authority for their abuse of the poor and those that they were entrusted with to serve and lead and provide for. And instead, it's a rich metaphor. They're they're basically skinning them alive and tearing flesh from bones. It's a picture of saying, you guys are the complete opposite of what you're expected to do. Wow. So it's a great pronouncement of judgment upon those who should have been God's representatives who were doing the exact opposite.
1: It goes on for a while. It does. Where's the empowerment um, meant to be in this? Oh, there may not be. So it's worth
0: saying that um, not every chapter in our Bible plan um, has something to say about the topic of the week. What I've tried to do is try to get a a happy medium between finding chapters that have something to say about the topic but also giving some continuity to the Bible plan so that you're not just reading yeah. all over the place. So this week we're reading a lot of Micah. Um, and I imagine what would have happened is I would have been thinking about Micah's prophecy in Micah chapter six, which we will get to. Is Do we get to Micah six this week? No. No, okay. I so oh no, we do right we at the do? end. Okay, so on we, the Friday, yes. we'll come back to that because that's a famous passage about, I think that's, uh, no, that's Micah six, eight. Anyway, we'll come to a, a passage about, um, about, as for me, I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord. That's not six eight, is it? That's um, no. That Micah six eight's the Bible in a verse. My my. Now that we know that, and our last podcast
1: we talked about Zion and how it yep. means Jerusalem. Now that we know that, because Micah does go on a lot about yes, yeah, so he's Zion prophesying to
0: Zion, to Jerusalem a lot.
1: Yep. Yeah. And her, he calls Jerusalem a little girl.
0: Yeah. So the daughters of Zion, it usually represented. It, it's just a, a figure of speech at the time that was used to represent the children of Zion, the daughters of Zion. It meant those that lived there, the family, those that were descended, part of the household. Also the term sons of too, we think the, the son of the sons of Elohim or the sons of God or the son of man. It meant one of the family. It meant to be of the same nature, the same family. yeah. So it's just figurative metaphorical language.
1: move on to Luke chapter 10 Luke which
0: 10 is a 42 verse chapter oh it's we dr- <laughs> less than last one <laughs> <laughs> what have i got here something is the
1: number 72 significant yes it is uh, yes where's it what part of uh, right Luke at the chapters. beginning oh, lord chose 70 lord appointed two. 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go
0: so the number 72 or i open up my bible it says some manuscripts say 70 yep. okay 70 or 72 so what you need to do friends when you see a number like that you could just take it at face value and say oh there's 72 of them and you go well uh Not really, <laughs> tw- oh, so 12 times 6 is 72 so yep. there's a number of t- there's a number 12 in there yep so that could be something maybe maybe he had 12 disciples and he told Nine, each eight. 98 to 72. <laughs> yep, so I think, though, if you wanted to do some research on 72 there, it would take us back to um, the same number, 70 or 72, that were reported as coming out of, Can- coming out of Canaan and into Egypt when Jacob's family moved to Egypt.
1: When they went ahead
0: to check it out. And uh, when know. they were moved there, after Jacob yep. Joseph was living there and Pharaoh said, bring your family down here in the middle oh, of the drought, there was 72 descendants. Ah. So Joseph had 70 or 72 descendants. I reckon there's a link there. Okay. So um, off the top of my head, I don't know why I think that's a link, it's, but I, I suspect that there's meaning there. You're supposed to read Jesus' calling of 72 there in light of Genesis. And you said, I remember everything. I don't. I would have to research that, but that's... I was
1: just worried, like, because yep. he had 12 disciples. Yep. And then maybe they had, had a few, each disciple was a leader and they had some
0: around. Yeah, which and would and make groups. sense if each deliverer went out with six, yeah. 12 sixes of 70. What to say? 12 sixes 72. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So did each disciple take out six with them? Uh, Possibly. Maybe. But I think it's, I think when you see these numbers, you're meant to not always take them as a purely literal exact number. Yep. It's that that meaning, that number that is chosen represents part of the story. You're supposed to dig oh into yeah, it. It's yeah. telling you something like the from the, old, the whole story.
1: Well, that's cool. Yeah. Oh, so
0: numbers that. like 40 is the t- number for, the s- for suffering and hardship and testing. So you see Israel was tested right. for 40 years. Noah was in the boat for, it rained for 40 days. Jesus, Jesus was tested for 40 days. So yeah. all of that, kind it talks about testing. So all of the numbers all mean something.
1: Also, uh, later on in this week, it's um, something about Jesus' ascension. There was 40 days before that, after he rose from the dead, before he ascended. There were
0: another 40 days. Yeah, exactly. There's another reference to 40. I
1: love it. So in Luke 10, it it talks again about um, entering a house and if they don't. Okay. Shaking the dust off your shoes. It's there again. There. Yep. Welcome to eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick. Let's go out with nothing again. Yep. Into a town. So he gives
0: he he basically gives the seventy two the same uh, co- commissioning that he gave to the twelve originally, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Now, I think I skip right down to the Good Samaritan.
0: The story of the Good Samaritan. Sure. Yeah. Great story.
1: Which is a huge story. Yep. Um. I wanted to say, ask about the. We talked once about the woman at the well being a Samaritan. Is that right?
0: Um, she yes, she Samaritan? was a Samaritan. Yeah. Yes.
1: And, they were, and the. Yep. The people, the Samaritans, were people that you wouldn't normally.
0: The Jews did not associate with right, them which at is, all.
1: I thought it was very poignant for this story that yep. it's the good Samaritan and then there's the priests and the Levites ignored. You got so it. So j- Jesus has been very careful in and. To put this the way that you can see it so that the least will be the most oh different. you got it kenny yeah preach it brother he yeah. is
0: even the fact that he put the that he's telling a story about a good samaritan is confronting enough to jews because in the jews mind they go samaritans none yeah. like of them are good at all you know who, who do they think they are we don't associate with we them. don't associate with them there's yeah. no such thing as a good samaritan yeah you know and jesus is deliberately turning the tables on the and he's saying I'm contrast this samaritan that you despise with and he's going to be the one who shows justice to this guy who's been beaten and flogged he's going to provide for him he's going to you know care bill. for him pay his bill yeah. he's the one who's passing the test he's the one who's really representing me yeah. meanwhile you ph- pharisees you jews you religious levite people you're supposed to be representing me and you don't even walk you walk on the other side of the road so it's a picture to show their attitude is so judgmental and so critical and oh i can't be touched by unclean, you know affected by those unclean people Mm. They are breeding self righteousness. So this is a this is a trimi- This is like the Old Testament.
1: Is it yeah. a heads up to the New Testament when the Gentiles can suddenly be saved? Absolutely,
0: well? it totally. It's trying to re. Wait,
1: are the Gentiles compared to Samaritans? How does
0: that work? Uh, I would think the Samaritans in the Jewish mind. I think in Jewish mind, Samaritans would be slightly above Gentiles. Yeah. Oh, so well, Gentiles are lower than Samaritans. Yeah, actually, maybe I don't know. Maybe maybe Samaritans were were actually worse in the Jewish mind because they claimed to be closer to the Jews, but they actually weren't. Yeah. They were definitely despised. So think about the lowliest, those that seem outcast, seem like those ones. They're the ones that Jesus is speaking to and he's inviting in. Yeah, cool. Um, and he, and it's, he's contradicting the Jewish mindset. So think what Jesus is doing here in his way is not that dissimilar to culturally what the prophets in the Old Testament were doing. We were reading Micah, condemning them for their the um, way they treated, the, way they treated yeah. the, the poor, those they were supposed to care for. This is Jesus not pointing a finger and condemning them in the same way, but in a very cutting, clever yeah, way, yeah. telling a story yeah. which is so brilliant that they, they know he's speaking it about them. Yeah. Um, you Everybody know, w- else would know, too. Everyone though, else they? would know, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. It's so brilliantly written. So this mm. is this is a prophetic rebuke against their mistreatment of other people, of mm. marginalized people. And
1: also, when I saw that Samaritan and thought about the woman, well, I also thought how you were saying um, everything about men, but then Jesus with women, and then the woman that touched his robe, yep. and then the woman that put the oil on his feet. He brings up women a lot. And always know, does. I'm a big fan of women. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> One in particular. <laughs> yeah. Big yes. fan of women. You'll be careful you say Barley, Sorry about that. <laughs> no, that was not a slip of the tongue. Rowan made it look like it was. <laughs> no, that's good. I really like. Um, I think I want to go and read the whole of Luke again. It's
0: huge. Yeah, it's a great. It's book. Massive. Good book.
1: Let's move on to Wednesday, 3rd of May. Back to Mika.
0: Back to Micah. Micah. Micah, Micah. Same Micah. Potato, now, potato. <laughs> tomato, tomato.
1: <laughs> Micah 4.
0: All right, let's see what Micah 4 has to say.
1: Oh, yeah, I put more Zion stuff. Okay. Ooh, verse 13.
0: Rise up he's and get, crush the nations, into O Jerusalem, says them. the Lord.
1: Mm.
0: For I will give you iron horns and yeah, bronze horns and hooves. hooves, so you can trample many nations to pieces. You will present their stolen riches to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of all the earth. See, if you read this in its context, this sounds pretty ruthless.
1: Yeah. So, And I was sort of thinking, why all of a sudden has it become an animal?
0: <laughs> why all of a sudden is
1: as you turn to animals, because it's, you know, it's, the rest of it's like the, the Zion and the daughter and all that. And then all of a sudden it's horse hooves and horns.
0: Okay, so when you're reading biblical prophecy, yep. um, it's deeply rich in metaphor. Yeah. Okay, oh and yeah we hooves of bronze, you horns you of iron. Yeah.
1: Is that idols?
0: Uh, okay. No, I think that's a p- the picture you're, you're supposed to be thinking there I- in your mind. Is that Israel, Jerusalem, has actually become like an ox. Think of an ox trampling on the nations and bringing judgment on the nations and presenting their stolen riches to the Lord. It's like a—it's a poetic picture of upturning. Israel is Israel is under the control of these nations, um, and even during this time that this is being written, um, Judah is a vassal nation. They might. Vassal nation meant that they actually paid. They were their own independent, to a certain extent. They had their own independence, but they paid. They had to pay taxes to a foreign king, wow. so that the king wouldn't attack them. Basically, yeah. So, so they were a vassal. Brive money. Bribe money, basically, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And there was, a, there was depending on the type of arrangement. Some of them were, well, you, we'll pay you. You pay your taxes to us, and we'll guarantee that if an enemy attacks you, we'll come and defend you. Yeah. Sometimes it was just, well, we can take you out and kill you or we don't want to waste our army on that but if you pay me enough money i'll just we won't come and t- kill you yeah <laughs> you can live on your own as long as you pay your taxes which is pretty much what the roman empire was doing so this is i think this is an upheaval here this is a nation that's living underneath control of a foreign power and it's saying the time will come when i'm going to turn you into this think picture of a strong mighty ox with iron horns that cannot be broken and bronze hooves that can tr- strong that will trample the enemy so rather than the enemy trampling you I'm promising that you will trample mm. the enemy
1: how can we relate something like this uh, chapter yeah. to our sometimes I read chapters like this and I'm going well this is just Old Testament yeah it's got nothing to do with me now but
0: <laughs> well the title in verse 6 immediately before this in my Bible is Israel's return from exile so exile is a time when they're under control when they're taken away and it says, in that coming day, says the Lord, I will gather those who are lame, those who have been exiles, and those filled with grief. We live in exile. So whenever you're reading about exile in the Old Testament, it's talking in its first instance to a nation that was exiled away from their homeland. Yeah, right. They were punished. But in reality, you and I and all humans are in exile. Yeah. We are in. We are exiled from God's best. We are exiled from Eden. Yeah. We 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 don't instead of living in a place of abundant pres- prosperity and blessing, we're instead of living in heaven on earth, yep. we are living in the desert. Wow. All day we are confronted by enemy, we're confronted by sickness, anger, wars, famines, temptation. abuse of power, <laughs> temptation, everything that is the opposite, Rage, all those things, yep. right? Exactly. So when you see exile, we are in exile. And mm. the promise to us is that life hard is hard right now. We're getting yeah. back to some of those conversations in Second Corinthians 3, where we're talking about being hard, yep. but God's promising that one day he's going to bring you back out of exile. One day there is freedom. One day you won't be the tail, you'll be the head. Those who are weak, it says, will survive as a remnant. Those who NIV, are exiles will become a strong that, nation. Uh,
1: the title of verse six is the Lord's plan. Yeah, there you go. Yeah.
0: So so how, your question was, how do you read these Old Testament prophecies and make use of them? They're not written to you, they're written for you. Yep. They are written to a people who were experiencing physical exile, but God would speak to Kenny because you're experiencing exile uh, in other areas of your life. Hardship, pain, difficulty, and the promises can then be transferable into the New Testament. I'm and experiencing
1: into. exile in nerve conduction.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. That's a good example. Your, your nerves aren't Sorry working properly.
1: podcasters, but I've got a pinched nerve a in my neck nerve. and it's bugging me. Yep, so you're, exper- <laughs> you're that's exile.
0: Yeah, that's hardship. So, uh, straight away I'm like, this Lord's works. Plan. This applies. Yeah, yep, that's good. So that's how you read these Old Testament prophecies mm. and personalize them.
1: Yep. Um, Galatians five is our other chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, Galatians five is our other chapter. I was. Go- I think I was going to ask about galatia where was it
0: where was it uh galatia. It was a place yeah it is, is a, it's, it a it's, a a, it's actually a province a province it's a roman province in what is modern-day turkey uh around the south central part of turkey i think okay uh, i think sort of yeah sort of against the mediterranean i think off the top of my head but it's a mo- it's a roman province so what happened is when the when the roman empire came throughout the middle east they broke up just like we have in Australia states, they broke up the land into provinces and each province was governed by a ruler on behalf of Caesar. Yep. So it's not a city. It's got numbers of cities in its region, but it's a province. Yep.
1: And so Paul had been through there. Yep. And now he's writing back. Yep. You can um, read
0: about him going through there in about, probably about Acts chapter 12 or 13. He went through Galatia and preached and now he's writing back to them.
1: Yep. And so... One of the things that I said was, because um, he's, he's going on angrily about circumcision, and I wondered, like, why is it so important? Like, I know a little bit, but I can't. Is it a certain people that had to be circumcised yeah. to be?
0: Yeah, the big issue that the letter of Galatians is written for was that there was a group of Jews who'd come through into Galatia after Paul, and they, well, they actually told the Galatian Gentiles that they had to be circumcised. You, you must be circumcised and you must obey the law of Moses or you cannot be saved. And Paul said, no, that's not true. We are saved by faith. You don't have to be circumcised. And Paul was very adamant about that. It's, it's, it was the big cultural context, but it applies to us today in our context. You have to behave a certain way or look a certain way or be a certain race or be a certain ethnicity or be a certain from a certain... A cultural background if you're going to be saved and Paul would say no none of that we are all one in Christ.
1: Are the Galatians Gentiles or Jews? They are Gentiles. Gentiles so right. they're
0: troubled understandably they are troubled. So
1: this is all after the vision with the eating
0: the Yeah that, that comes food. in Acts chapter 10 that was Peter. Peter has that not Paul but Peter has that yeah. vision so this is after that uh, Paul has gone and preached to Gentiles they've gotten saved they're happy about abroad,
1: salvation. No, that wasn't the Jews, are like
0: Jews thought ridiculous Yeah. Yeah, they have, to, they have to be saved our way. They have to obey the law. And, and Peter explains, no, they don't. Paul says adamantly, no, they don't. They need to believe in Jesus to be saved. That's the one thing they need to do is accept Christ. Mm. And that is a big deal in Galatia because these, these Galatians have had all these Jewish people come through and undermine everything Paul taught. And they're second guessing it now. Mm. They're going, well, maybe we do. So they'd like
1: receive the gospel. They receive Paul's. And then the Jew people are coming. In, well, you can only receive it if you do
0: this, this, and this. Yes. And, and they couldn't just on. jump in and send an email to Paul and say, Paul, by the way, um, can we just check <laughs> the something? The we, guy here. Can we just book in a Zoom so we can check. <laughs> they couldn't do that. So they were in, they were in turmoil. And Paul hears about it, and he's pretty fired up because mm. he feels like, why are you going back to this thing? I've set you free. Christ has set you free from having to. Obey rules and regulations for salvation and obey by certain days and get circumcised and all that. He's going, You're free from all of that.
1: How long would this letter have taken to get through? Oh, uh,
0: back and forward. We're talking about months worth of communication one oh way no. and then oh writing so it, they and sending write, it back. Yeah, a Jewish yeah. guy here. Yeah, yeah, that's Six right. Six months later. Yeah. Well, yep. you tell him process <laughs> yeah, you know we get frustrated when we don't get an answer to an email overnight these these guys would be waiting that a text months has been read. Yeah, that's <laughs> right exactly oh that's right these guys were waiting for months for a response wow yeah that's that a bit of context to the to the letter of galatians i liked
1: how paul did get fired up yeah he, he,
0: yeah well he basically goes for those guys go- this is what he says he says trigger warning folks but just so you get a bit of a perspective on it, it's pretty uh vivid language he says those guys that are saying you should be circumcised he says, "I wish they'd just go and chop the whole thing off." Whoa! That's actually what Paul says. <laughs> I wish they'd go and emasculate themselves. He says, <laughs> "Not just enough to chop off the foreskin; just chop the whole thing off." That's, he's pretty fired up. Yeah. Because he realizes it's it's a matter of salvation; it's a matter of life and death. These guys are falling back into rules and regulations, and he doesn't want that for them. Mm. He, he genuinely cares for them. Anyway, probably um, when we're talking about G- Galatians five, is that the only? chapter we're looking at in Galatians at the moment I think yep. it is yeah, yeah so that's the
1: only um, one from this podcast
0: yeah so I would have chosen that and we'll come, obviously come back to the letter of Galatians in more depth elsewhere in the year but I would have chosen that specifically um, because of life the, by the spirit. Li- Life by the Spirit Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. which is, like,
0: which is what you question yeah. great
1: well not question I just really liked it we're called to be free do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh which I've gone back into the cannibalism <laughs> <laughs> rather serve one another humbly in love for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command love your neighbour as yourself yep. yeah this bit if you bite and devour each other watch out or you will be destroyed by each other it's interesting a there's a that's only in the NIV probably uh, uh, what verse was that? Uh, 15
0: 15 says
1: oh, there's a little thing up
0: there. if you're always biting and devouring another watch out beware of destroying one another NLTs is the same thing yep no, so there was this.
1: Did it have a reference back to Leviticus or
0: something? Um, Leviticus nineteen it? eighteen. Love. Oh, that's love your neighbor as yourself. For the law ah, can be yeah. summed up in this one command. Yes, that is straight out of Leviticus. Love your neighbor as yourself. Stop fighting with each other and get along with each other. Start loving your enemies, is what Paul's saying. Yeah. yeah. Beware, Beware of destroying spirit. one and another. He goes
1: into the fruits.
0: The fruit of the spirit. Of yep.
1: Spirit. I didn't know what forbearance means.
0: Uh, so that's the NIV, no, that's not the NIV, is it?
1: Oh, so yeah. it's not in all of them?
0: No, they're all slightly different variations. So the one I learned, I learned it in the NIV, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Oh. Um what the the is then? So forbearance would be um, probably patience, I'm guessing. Okay. Uh, the NLT says... Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's interesting. That was the NLT. Mm-hmm. I thought I learned it in the... Let me check the NIV. NIV says, Oh, love, joy, f- peace, forbearance. So it's patience. To forbear with someone is to love them. I don't remember the NIV saying that. That's interesting. I thought I'd learned it in the NIV, but it I just quoted you the NLT. That, he, about yeah. and
1: stuff.
0: he contrasts what he calls the works of the flesh in yeah. chapter 22, uh, verse say 1918 1920 with what he calls the fruit of the spirit Mm. so there's a work and there's a fruit so work is something when you're living under the law you end up with all these horrible unkingdom-like attitudes hatred jealousy fits of rage selfish ambition factions drunkenness all kinds of immoral behavior and and unhealthy unproductive behavior and he calls them the work of flesh. But he says, But if you will walk in the Spirit, the fruit of God's Spirit will flow out of you. You will live a spirit filled life. And instead of having all this struggling, working kind of hard work, you'll naturally be a joyous person, a loving person, a forbearant person, a kind patience. person, a patient person.
1: Wow. Yeah. That must be what
0: forbearance is. Patience. That's what it is patience, yeah. To patience forbear is
1: patience.
0: And so, and he's going, there's no law against these things he finishes with. Yeah. So friends, I guess this chapter talking about the Holy Spirit is the the closer you stick to Jesus, the more you walk with him, the more time you spend in his word and prayer and connection and community with his friends, the more like him you will become, the Mm. more natural these things will be. You don't have to work at being joyful. joyful. I will be joyful. I will be joyful. I will be joyful. Paul would say, no, 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 it's a fruit. An apple tree doesn't strive to produce apples. It produces apples because it's an apple tree. Yeah. You don't just produce joy because you strive, you produce joy because you're connected to the source of yeah. that joy.
1: And I, I think that um, in certain situations, the Holy Spirit for me would say, if I'm reacting to something with a mind of the flesh the holy spirit would be saying to me hey why
0: are you acting like that's that because
1: it. i would instead of being really angry at that person think oh, i wonder what's the matter with that person to be so angry at you and what could i do to make things feel better you know brilliant and that's the big difference between the flesh and the spirit absolutely and you yeah. see the
0: more you spend with jesus the more natural you get attuned to that the more the spirit does that work in you and it takes less work to be that way. Mm. You become naturally that way.
1: So that your mind would always be thinking, what what is the spirit saying to me rather than what is the flesh saying to me?
0: And he Mm. says somewhere in here, he says, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. So the closer you stay to the spirit, the harder it's going to be to live a fleshly life, the easier it's going to be to live a spirit-filled joy, patience, peaceful life and so on.
1: Let's move on to Thursday, the 4th of May, back to Micah,
0: Micah again, we must go through,
1: we've got Micah 5 and then Micah 6 on the Friday, so mm-hmm. what else has Micah said? Oh yeah, I wanted to ask about um, Assyria and Nimrod, is Nimrod a place?
0: Uh, n- well it is actually a place, <laughs> there's a fortress called Nimrod. Uh Isn't yes. That something you call somebody? Yes, you do. Yeah. So Nimrod in the Old Testament is a picture of a a a foreign uh, he, he, um he was a, a warrior in the early chapters of Genesis who um oh, wow. turned against God and became a um a, a mighty warrior um it was the epitome of sinfulness. Oh wow. So when we call someone a Nimrod, it's like it's it's a derisive term. It's the epitome of Uh, The picture of Nimrod is a guy who has completely so far removed himself from God's plan for Adam and Eve and is living a selfless, controlling, abusive life where he is just take, take, take for himself. That's what Nimrod did. He built cities to make a name for himself, make himself great. And so when it mentions it, what verse does it mention that in here? Oh, here we go. In verse 6. Yeah. So when the Assyrians, so verse 5, second part of verse five, when the Assyrians invade our land and break through our defenses, we will appoint seven rulers to watch over us, eight princes to lead us, and they will rule Assyria with drawn swords and enter the gates of the land of Nimrod. So the Assyrians are the oppressive empire at the time when this is being written. They are the world power.
1: Yeah, so one of my questions was is there an actual war happening going on yes so the assyrians it are war it's actually a physical it's war it's actually a
0: physical war the assyrians are the dominant power at the time they are in the in this part of the world they are this is about 150 years before babylon the babylonians this was these guys were the predecessors to the babylonian empire the babylonians actually defeated these guys to take power so these were the dominant ruthless absolutely ruthless people I, it would require multiple trigger warnings to talk about this, the way that the Assyrians treated um, their captors the, the women they captured it was horrific
1: who are the descendants of the Assyrians these days is there like would, it um, would there be a race that's
0: no i don't think there would be a race a long, per long se Assyria was probably in modern day Syria so northern no syria, syria and iraq any. um no there's no there's no country that would represent assyria now they were from probably northern syria and iraq northern we- northeastern syria northwestern iraq i think yeah. in that kind of area um yeah they were the dominant power uh, i don't know what ethnic groups would trace themselves to those people these days um but they were definitely the ruthless uh, people of the time. And so in this, this is a, once again, you've got to talk, you're thinking about Micah prophesying to a nation that is under attack from this ruthless power and God's yep. promising them deliverance. When the Assyrians the invade Bethlehem. our land. Yes, that's right. There's this beautiful picture of this ruler from Bethlehem. When the Assyrians invade our land and break through our defenses, we're going to appoint seven rulers to watch over us, eight princes to lead us. That picture of seven and eight or three things the Lord despises, oh, no four. Yeah. It's actually a, just a common metaf- uh, turn of phrase that's used in the ancient writing. Uh, I don't even know why they did it, but it was just a, w- a way they would describe something. Four things the Lord hates, no five. Um, seven rulers, <laughs> no eight to, ro- to lead us. Okay. Um, and this picture is that the Assyrians are coming at them, and instead the people of God are going to rule over the Assyrians and they're going to march against this Nimrod, who's ruling us, this person who's abusing us, and we will rule over him. Mm-hmm. He will rescue, rescue us, us from the Assyrians. Pour
1: over the borders to invade our land.
0: So there's this picture of a deliverer. Yeah. This prophecy about a deliverer. And of course, it, it goes on, doesn't it?
1: Remnant purified.
0: Yep. It goes on and talks about, well, it talks about who this deliverer is. Just prior to this, verse 2, But you, O Bethlehem, Epaphra, from a small village, even though you're a small village along the people of Judah, yet Israel, a ruler of Israel whose origins are from distant past will come from you on my behalf. behalf. So there is a picture of a deliverer coming to deliver them from Assyrian oppression. Now, by the time Jesus comes along, the Assyrians are gone. The Babylonians are gone. The Persians are gone. The Medes are gone. The Greeks are gone and the Romans are in power. So we've gone through about five world empires wow. by the time Jesus comes along. So in its first situation, we're talking to a people here. This word was not just about Jesus. This was an encouragement to them at the time that God will bring a deliverer. But they didn't see that deliverance. So they hung and they clung to the word. We believe, we believe, we believe. Wow. And so was
1: Rome as dominant as? Syria? Yes,
0: I would yes, it was more probably covered a wider empire. It was a much bigger empire than than the Assyrians even were. Um was it as ruthless? Not as mean. I, I suspect not. I suspect it was a bit more civilised. A bit more law. Yes, but certainly not not by our standards today. No. Um, but compared to what they faced under the Assyrians, it was probably a bit more order and control. Mm. Yeah. But please hear me, I'm not saying that Rome was great empire to live for either it wasn't interesting yeah so example of reading a scripture in its context and then looking forward of rejecting and saying what does that say to me and the as they came out of exile in the 400 years leading up to christ they started to say this promise of this messiah this one who will come and deliver us from our enemies
1: Mm. the people of israel will stand up to their foes and all their enemies will be wiped out yeah in that day says the lord
0: yeah That's a prophetic declaration. And can you see why we're coming up to Palm Sunday as we record this and your wife's preaching at the rule. And can you can you see why when they when Jesus came in, they've got prophecies like this in their mind. They're expecting a military ruler to come and defeat Rome because that seems to be what it's saying at face value. But Jesus was trying to show them that I didn't really come to defeat the Assyrians or the Persians or the Babylonians or the Romans. I came to defeat sin. The With real empire. Going,
1: hey, why is he on a donkey? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's
0: not on a he's military horse. He's not wearing armor. He's not wearing armor. <coughs> so he's but trying...
1: But they just throw... Were they so happy because he'd been prophesied?
0: Yeah, well, they, there was a prophecy about Zechariah. Right. And they this is him. This is the one. But they were still expecting him to walk in, march in and overthrow Rome. They did not get it. Wow. Even his disciples didn't get it after he was raised, raised, raised yeah. from the dead. They still go... Are you going to defend Rome? Is now the day you're going to defeat the Romans? He goes, no, 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 you missed the point, boys. That's not what it's about. Jesus came to defeat real exile, yeah. we are the exile from the garden, the exile from God's presence. That's the exile that Jesus came to if overturn. that was their
1: lives, then, then, then no wonder they missed the point, really. Yeah. Their lives were all about war and being yep. oppressed. That's
0: right. Yep. And we, Christian nationalism, for want of a better term, is a big thing in America right now. And it's really falling for the same trap that somehow we have to set up uh, and defend our rights and defend our purposes and all this kind of stuff. And it's no different to these guys who thought that they were coming to set up some kind of kingdom, the military kingdom that would quash all the enemies. That's not what Jesus was about. Jesus came into Jerusalem to die on a cross to show his disciples the way to bring in God's kingdom is by giving up, not taking over, Mm. giving up your life. And so that's what he was doing but they missed it. Love it.
1: Acts 1 is our chapter, also on Thursday the 4th. Hmm. <coughs> we talked a bit about the numbers, which I thought was very interesting. <laughs> my... my note is can you imagine jesus's ascension like it sounds like you need some good cgi <laughs> <to> <laughs> yeah recreate it there's a few things in the bible where i'm like this is just amazing and that's one of them that's one of them like yeah and he's, and he gets to a certain point up and there's an angel on either clouds side disappear yeah, the clouds disappear i
0: mean yeah. I've been to the top of the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, and there's a church up there called the Church of the Ascension. Wow. And inside this church is the traditional. There's actually two different ones. There's there's a there's a, a Roman Catholic one, and there's a Russian Orthodox one. They've both got churches. They're about 100 metres apart, and they both claim to be the site where Jesus went up to heaven. So, was it the foot of at the top of it, the Mount was of it Olives? At the top that yeah, went up. Yeah. So mm-hmm. he says he went to the top of the Mount of Olives, and he went from there. So the Mount of Olives is across the valley. You've got Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, the Temple Mount down through the the Kidron Valley and up the other side to the Mount of Olives which yep. overlooks the city and on the top of the Mount of Olives is these two churches and inside the the Catholic one I think it's the Catholic one but inside that one I haven't been to the Russian Orthodox one I need the Catholic one there is a little chapel in there with a stone on the ground which is supposed to be the last place where Jesus' feet were and they reckon there's this imprint in the rock that looks like a foot now I've been there it don't look like a foot to me Kenny uh, it just if looks you look like at something hard enough. <laughs> uh, if you look at something hard enough, you want to see Under something, you see it. Um, but anyway, that's the traditional site. It has been for hundreds wow. of years where the and obviously it was somewhere near there because that's where the story happened. How did
1: you feel being there?
0: It's um, there are certain spots on the Mount of Olives that are very surreal. That one is, is not one of them to yeah. me. Um, it one didn't really you know, this is just personal feeling. Some some places you go to in the Holy Land, they just move you. Yeah. others you just go oh, not so much but th- that one wasn't one of those okay. I, even though i was standing there going somewhere around here jesus ascended into heaven so yes it would need some cgi but i think you know i talk about some things being figurative i don't think this is figurative i think that the one thing that we rise and fall on is that the christianity rise and falls on is not whether or not Lots of the stories in the Old Testament are literal or figurative. Um, whether or not Jonah was swallowed by a whale or not or all those things. that You can have whatever belief you. Balaam's, donkey, shit, Balaam's talking. donkey talking or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Um, and pure literalists will say they have to be true. I think they could be. I don't dismiss they could be, but my faith does not hang on whether they were legend told over time to illustrate a point or whether they were literal. Different with Jesus. My faith hangs on the immaculate, conception birth of Jesus as a virgin birth it hangs on the life of Jesus it hangs on Jesus physically dying on a cross it hangs on Jesus physically rising from the dead and, and being resurrected and it hangs on Jesus ascending into heaven those things are non-negotiable to me if I'm not convinced of those things I don't have a faith nice. um, okay. uh, and Paul says that if Christ hasn't been died and raised then there's no point out preaching is useless your, your faith is in vain it rises and falls on Jesus Christ yeah. And so, when it says he went to heaven, and this, and it's written like it's absolute, put that in your note. Pod fact. That's
1: yeah. <laughs> when the
0: good. disciples dec- describe this, like it really happened.
1: Did Paul write Acts one? No, Luke. No, Luke wrote Acts Luke. one.
0: So Luke wrote Acts. So there 1. would have been. Paul wasn't there. He wasn't there a Christian at all. Oh, time. that's right. Yeah. 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 There yeah. would have
1: been quite a few onlookers.
0: Um, or just well, it, it appears it was just the disciples. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It appears it was just the disciples. So this is at the end of the 40 days you talked about. I wonder what happened to the 72. Where's the rest of Yeah, yeah. Well, we know were they all there? We know that there's about 500, uh, 120, sorry. By the time day of Pentecost, there's about 120. Yeah. 10 days after this, there's 120. Oh. But at this stage, it was just the disciples, I think, okay. that, that's, that witnessed this. They saw him ascend and says he disappeared. The clouds surrounded him. And then there's suddenly there's two angels standing there saying, what are you staring into space for? Get on with it. <laughs> Go ah. back and get ready for the baptism in the spirit. So it's to me it's an absolute a
1: poignant moment. Poignant moment.
0: Yeah. Definitely. Love yep. it.
1: What about um, how many times did Jesus appear to people after he rose from the dead? Speaking of numbers.
0: How many times? because uh, it was 40 days. 40, 40 days. It 40 just days. says over numerous occasions. Ah oh, yeah, okay. I so think I don't think there's months. a set amount. Okay. He appeared to all the disciples. He appeared. He Between appeared to two people on the road. Yep. So he, I just think through. He appeared to Mary, the Marys, at, Mary at the at the tomb, at the tomb. The yeah. first one he appeared to. He appeared to all the disciples, without Thomas. He appeared to all the disciples with Thomas. Yeah. He appeared to Peter separately. We don't read about that. We we hear it referred to, but we don't actually have an account of that. He appeared to over five hundred all at once, Paul says, um, at one point. And then Paul says, and last of all, he appeared to me. But later on, (laughs) is what Paul says. So there were multiple accounts. Uh And Paul actually argues about the resurrection and he says, he lists them all. That's where I got all those out of. He lists a lot of those. He says, he appears to this person and this person and this person and actually appeared to 500. And he said, some of them are dead, but actually a whole lot of them are still alive. So if you don't believe me, go and talk to them. He actually says there's a whole stack of lives. So numbers of disciples would appear at that time. Yeah. Uh yeah.
1: Awesome. Yeah. I might have to look a bit more into this. Yeah. Well, it's (laughs) the right time. We're heading into
0: Easter. It's into ascension and all that. Yeah. It's a good time to be doing it.
1: I think I might be preaching around the ascension time. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. I've started thinking about it. So
0: that's about, yeah, the the week before Pentecost or something.
1: Forty days. Yep. Yep. Go for it. (laughs) Yeah. Good. Friday, we're on to our last day. Come on, we're nearly there. Of the Empower a week, Micah six.
0: Okay, doesn't this is do Micah seven. No, there's no Micah seven.
1: No, there is a Micah seven, but it's not in our um, podcast today. Oh, there is. Okay, we're not
0: doing Micah seven.
1: Listen to what the Lord is saying. I've put. How is? Micah 6 relevant to us now Ooh. Yeah, gosh that's pretty relevant isn't I it? I think the <laughs> whole <laughs> the <start of> it <laughs>
0: and we sort of touched on this with Micah I think a good way to read Micah is and we're obviously not reading every chapter um, but we're reading several of them is to know that historical background and he's and always then talking about mountains and hills yeah, and lots and of metaphors yeah. lots of analogies and you, if you know that historical background the Assyrians are invading there's a threat of being wiped out being taken off as captives. charges
1: against people and his people. His people. Yeah, so it's all about his people and it's his people as a one and a yep. the enemy is a, a people as well, yeah? Yep.
0: So there's two, two main streams. There's an enemy that's coming against God's people. And then it started with Michael 1, the word to it, the Jewish leaders themselves who were oppressing God's people. Yeah. So it's, it's written to a people who are facing hardship. And it's saying to these people who are facing hardship, hang in there. Yeah, okay. God will come through. That's relevant. And I will bring judgment against those who are treating you poorly. Okay. God is... It's probably worth noting this, that God, God's not slow... We can read the scriptures of God pronouncing judgment, and we can think, oh, that's a hard, vindictive, vindictive judgmental God. I wouldn't want to serve a God like that. I heard someone say once, it's only in our comfortable Western middle-class world where we have a problem with God being a judge against wrongdoing. If you, you know, how I heard it said, if you are a father of daughters in Uganda and the LRA army come in, in the middle of the night and abduct your daughters and take them away and take your sons and turn them into child warriors. You don't want gentle Jesus, meek and mild. You want a God who will stand up for you against that injustice. And so when we live in our comfortable Western middle class, we go, oh, I don't want that judgmental God. But if we were truly facing some of the serious injustice, you want a God who will fight for you. You want a God who will stand up against you. You can understand why these people who are being cruelly oppressed are looking for a God who will put right the wrongs. And God is that kind of God. He will put right the wrongs. Um, sadly, we are also the perpetrators of many wrongs in the world because of our sin. And so while we cry out for freedom from oppression and God put right the wrongs of those that, that didn't done things to us, we should also be asking God, where is my sin nature meant that I have done wrong to others? I might not have killed anybody. I might not have... Uh, you know, pillaged and stolen in that sense. But Jesus would say, hey, if you've been angry with your brother. Oh, yeah. No one's without sin. yeah. So I should be at on one hand claiming justice, but on the other hand realizing that I need mercy because mm. I am due for justice too.
1: That's cool. I'm I'm thinking I'm singing the song this week called My God Makes a Way, which is another C three original. Yeah. I'm thinking of some of the lyrics on that: Who the ride to my rescue? The yep. clouds, yeah. Who was this mighty defender in battle? You know, yeah. Which is this language? Yeah, yeah, It's yeah. it's rich in and the Psalms it's and rich the prophets. In, in like this is a big deal. This is a big battle. Yeah, it's a big God who's going to fight our big battle. Fight our battles for us. Yes. Yep, that's well, right. And and battles inner battles and that can be as huge to a person. Yeah that other people might not see. No, that's right. A lot of people are fighting battles that no one can see. And they're looking for... And they're looking
0: for... And and this is where this can be written for you. Mm. You can take these stories and personalize them and go, God fights my battles too. He fought the battles for Israel. He will fight the battles for me. Yeah,
1: I've learned a lot about
0: Micah today,
1: I think. Micah's great. um, Just seeing how it can be... In guitar speak, we say transposed. Yes. So you transposing, transposing it to it. your own life. Yeah. In, in, in like, well, you yeah. sometimes you will move the key, but you're moving the situation. Yeah, great. Um, I like that. That's yeah. a. I'm
0: not. I'm going to pinch that, Kenny. Yeah. Great. That you can transpose it into your own life. And I would say you can transpose it into two different keys. You can transpose it where you are the recipient of you. You are Israel. You are God's people, yeah. and you. The promises of victory and redemption apply to you. But you can also transpose it the other way and realize sometimes okay. we're actually the Assyrians. Yeah. And sometimes I've we done we've done wrong and we need, you know, if we don't change our ways, we deserve this because we've hurt other people. So you yeah. can transpose it up and you can transpose it down. Oh. Yeah. With a capo. With a capo, yep. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> non musical people, don't worry, I'm one too, but I happen to know what a capo is. So. That was cool.
1: <laughs> I like that. That's a good way to round out Micah, I think. Yeah, great.
0: Is our final chapter oh, the big empowerment, the Day of Pentecost? Wow! <laughs> what have I got here?
1: Peter was a smart biblical man. He had a lot of knowledge.
0: Well, his speech was a ripper. It was That's a ripper <laughs> speech. A so <laughs> the Day of Pentecost comes. Peter gives the speech. But it's actually worth noting that he wasn't necessarily a smart biblical man. Oh, really? Because he, he speaks so. He, well, he had a day of.
1: He knows his history
0: yep they all did (coughs) they were they were deeply immersed jews are deeply immersed in the history even today they are (coughs) jews of today are deeply immersed in their culture because their identity as a nation as a people group has its roots in their ancient story so he was immersed in that but he was a commoner he was a fisherman really he wasn't a he'd spent three read,
1: read this i'm like he's man he's got it going on
0: yeah so two things i would say about this story that might We'll tr- trying to keep it brief. That it number helped, one helped just got
1: baptized by the Holy Spirit. That's the point. Okay, so that's number. That's one of the two I'd say. Yeah.
0: Just prior to this, they've seen Jesus, Acts 1, they've seen Jesus ascend into heaven. You would think that they would be going, all right, we haven't seen it all now. This is, that's I mean, it. We're ready to go. Send us CGI out. I could do that. Yeah, man. exactly. Send us out here now. <laughs> Send us out. And instead, Jesus goes, no, no, no. Go back and wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Even seeing Jesus alive was not enough for them. They might have thought it was, but Jesus knew they needed more. They needed an empowerment from the Holy Spirit to turn these. Just prior to this, just prior to, you know, between Jesus' death and resurrection, they're all holed up in a room for fear of the Romans coming to take them away. And they're all in fear. They witness Jesus. They get empowered by the Spirit. and, And this Peter turns from being this timid fisherman. Oh, he's not timid. He's a bit rough around the edges but he turns into the he preaches this mighty sermon and sees three thousand people get saved he's empowered by the spirit and you said was he rich in bible knowledge i would say he knew his bible all jewish boys did but he wasn't by no means a bible scholar um he was probably he probably knew more bible he probably knew more of his bible than than i do um I know I know the Bible pretty well I studied it for thirty years. I think he probably knew it more than I did, but that's because he had been entrenched into it, but compared to a Jewish rabbi, he wasn't even in the same league as those guys yeah. and yet here's what the later on, I think it's Acts chapter four, three or four immediately following this, um, Peter and John get brought before the religious leaders and uh, he when, when they rec- said you You can't preach. Yeah, that's you're right. Not to preach they said when they recognised that they were ordinary, unskilled fishermen. it's <laughs> <is> basically <laughs> what, what, what it says. Sorry about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> can't believe you guys. You you guys are ordinary nobodies. Who do you? But the point being is that these were people, men, women, who had been empowered by God's mm. Spirit to do great exploits. And I know
1: sometimes when I've spoken at church, when I'm actually doing it. Compared to when I'm writing it, it feels like I'm. Spe- you're speaking on behalf Absolutely. of the Lord. You know? That's what Peter's experiencing
0: yeah. here. That's the Spirit-filled life. Probably
1: the freshest Holy Spirit anointing that's ever happened. <laughs> Absolutely. Because
0: you're at the end of yourself yeah. and the Spirit of God comes through. That's, wow. the, that's the power of a Spirit-filled life. What we see here is them filled with the Holy Spirit, tongues of fire, mm. speaking in other tongues, and then this mighty sermon that Peter preaches. It says, and it, like you say, it is an amazing yeah. sermon, no doubt about it.
1: Well, it goes for a while. I did note down that um, Acts 2 is 47 verses, verses? long. Yep. <laughs> and a lot,
0: a lot of that is the sermon. Yeah. Uh, well, I think it starts about verse 14. <laughs> so it's the last two thirds is, is his sermon. I
1: had a question mark on verse 17. Last In the
0: last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on yeah. all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women. That's I, like. I
1: thought it was um, when's the last days. You know, uh, that yeah. was a long, long time ago. Yeah. You
0: know, people so, say hate last days. yeah, and people will say, "Oh, we're in the last days," and I go, "Yeah, we are." <laughs> <But we're laughs> these guys were too. So, the picture of the last days in Scripture is this picture of this period of time. Ultimately between Jesus resurrection and however long it is before Jesus returns, that's the last days it's a it's a two thousand year old period right now so it doesn't it might mean that we could be in the last months or the last decade or whatever but all lots of people throughout the last two thousand years have believed that yeah and it's not all bad it's not all bad to believe we're in the last days. if we start waving newspapers and Bible around and try to predict that's dangerous and saying this represents that i don't think that's ever healthy however it might be interesting but i I wouldn't build doctrine on it however there's absolutely nothing wrong with believing living your life as though jesus could come back tomorrow
1: well that's what he taught that's what he taught be ready ready. yeah that's right
0: so i'm not so much worried about people who um say oh we're in the last days i i don't know I used to think, oh, yeah, all signs are for there. But now I read the Bible differently. I don't know whether we're in, when I say the last days, quote, unquote, I'm using air quotes, um, as if to say, you know, we're in the final decade before Jesus returns because the times are dark and all that sort of stuff. People say that, oh, the times are dark and all that. I don't, I I look and go, you're not much of a student of history if you think the times are dark. Uh, The times are getting darker at the moment. But compared to most people throughout most of the world, throughout most of history, the times are light um, relatively speaking compared to what most people have spoken about. It's just that we only know our own context. We only know Western world. We know that, uh, for the last 50 years, Judeo Christian worldview and ethic has been largely centralized and now it's being marginalized. But people in um, the Islamic world, Christians in the Islamic world have been marginalized for the better part of 1300 years. Mm. Um, in more ruthless ways than we are being marginalised in the West, so we've just got to be careful about how we. Yeah, it, it's kind of reeks of a little bit of arrogance. Yeah, but not not arrogance. I don't think people, are, when they say it, are being arrogant. I think maybe naive, just not really aware that there are people who have been living much much tougher lives as followers, as as genuine followers of faith. And so the last days is a picture of a period of time that we find ourselves in, and God promises in that last days we're in that. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. In other words, God will empower you by His Spirit. You're going to see visions. You're going to you're going to hear from the Lord. You're going to walk in the power of the Spirit. That's the kind of people He's looking for.
1: Yeah, cool, big. I'm thinking about the time capsule again. Yeah, the the capsule buried in the ground. We're pulling it up in hundred years. Yeah, so see what we were last really last days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, last days. Yeah,
0: yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and there's not. Yeah, it just don't lose sleep over that, but keep trying to serve faithfully, not knowing when the time will come mm. not saying it won't come it might we should live with that expectation that what if this were what if this were our last moment on earth or mm. what if what if we were to find out tomorrow that we had three months to live would that change the way we live our lives or
1: if, if these are the last days then wouldn't you rather use the fruits of the spirit than the, than the,
0: of the works flesh? of the flesh <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's right good point it yeah, d- yeah. exactly no, that's, I've, that's uh, a what lot of stuff
1: swimming around in my head after these podcasts which is what it's designed to do yep get us thinking um i'd really like to thank you for letting me be a part of today's podcast thank
0: you kenny it's great and to have um, you with us i
1: might see you again in a few I'm weeks i'm sure at some
0: point we'll have this another go Great. yeah great stuff hey thank god you, bless podcasters. everyone thanks we'll talk to you next time
1: no worries goodbye